I'm at uh, in Jamaica right now giving my family a tour of where I grew up, uh, my home that I grew up in, as well as the church that I grew up in. And I'm standing here right outside of the church. It's called Harborview Gospel Chapel. This is where I learned a lot of Bible verses, had to memorize them. It was incredible. I will never forget and must never forget where I came from and nor must you. Anyways, this weekend, I'm so excited for you because guess who's in the house? One of my mentors, one of the men that have poured into me. I'm so grateful for him. He has blessed our church in ways you would never, ever realize and understand. But I, Jada, the whole family is so grateful for him. Will you help me welcome my mentor, my leadership coach, Pastor Steve Stroop. Come on, family. Come on, for real. Let's help me welcome Pastor Steve Stroop. Thank you, Pastor Conway. It's good to be here uh, again with you. Had the privilege of uh, being here on several weekends, and then also had the privilege recently to be here for your marriage conference. What a great time together, talking about how God has planned the family. And I'm, I'm grateful today, Pastor Matt, for the prayer that we've said for our teachers. Uh, my wife taught in a public school system in Rockwall, Texas for 16 years. Right now she's a full-time grandmother but enjoyed that time of teaching. And I know the impact that she had on those families and the impact that you guys as educators are having. And we commit not only to pray for you today, but to continue to pray for you in the days to come. Isn't prayer a wonderful treasure that God has given us, isn't it? But you know, I think sometimes we take prayer for granted, don't we? Uh, because we can pray anytime, we don't pray anytime. You know what I'm saying? I mean, God is a, a request away. And yet, because of that, uh, we don't pray like we need to pray. My older brother was a missionary for 25 years. And when I would travel, if I got anywhere near where he was in the world, he was in Sri Lanka for a while, then he was in London, and then he spent most of his time in Hong Kong. If I got anywhere near him, I would reroute my uh, my flight to, to go see my brother. And uh, recently, last 20 years, he's been a professor at Baylor University teaching missions. So he's like an hour and 15 minutes away. I saw him more when he was overseas than I see him today. You know why? Because I can see him anytime, so I don't see him anytime. Does that make sense? And that sometimes it's the way, the way it is with God, isn't it? And I, and I wonder why don't we pray more? And I think one of the reasons that we don't pray more is because we don't know how it works. We don't know how it works. I saw a little uh, Peanuts cartoon, and, and Charlie Brown is playing with his hands. He's holding them like this, and then he's holding them like this, and then he holds them like this. And he said, I think I finally figured it out, that if you hold your hands upside down when you pray, you get the opposite of what you're praying for. Have you ever tried to figure out, is, am I supposed to be standing up? Am I supposed to be kneeling down? Uh, am I using the right words? Do I have to use King James English when I pray? And I think sometimes because we don't understand what God is requiring of us, we just kind of we step back, don't we? And so what I'd like for us to do today is step forward. I'd like for us to look in God's Word and see what the prerequisites are for powerful prayer. All right? So let's do that together. First of all, I want to say the first prerequisite that the scripture talks to us about in prayer to have powerful prayer is first of all that we actually pray that we ask God for what we need to ask him for in Matthew 21 22 it says this 
in all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. See, the first prerequisite to powerful prayer is that we actually pray. See, here's the problem in churches. We talk a lot about praying. In fact, we talk more about praying than we actually pray. We, we go around and we wring our hands about a health problems or we wring our hands about a decision we have to make. And we say to our brothers and sisters, we say, boy, I'm really praying about this. And we're not. We're talking about praying about it, but we don't actually pray about it. Because it's sociably acceptable to talk about prayer, but we just don't do that much of it. The little church that I grew up in, the people would come down to the front of the church to join the church. And then afterwards, the pastor would introduce them and they would stand across the front and the pastor would invite us all to extend to them, he said, the right hand of Christian fellowship. And so we would line up down the aisle to welcome those new people to our church. And we, we went all the way across and we lied to every one of them. Because what we told them, we said, I'm going to be praying for you. But we didn't. Just lied right there in church, front of God and everybody else. And I got convicted about that. So I decided that anytime anybody asked me in church to pray for them, I would stop right there and say, let's just do it right now, because I don't want to lie to you. I probably am going to get busy. There's this thing called life, but I'm going to pray for you right now. And so I'll just pray right then. And then I ask the Holy Spirit to bring them to my memory, and I make a commitment that every time the Holy Spirit brings them to my memory, I'll pray for them again. But we need to pray. We need to actually pray. Sometimes we think, well, you know, the Bible says that God knows what we need even before we ask. And so if he already knows, why aren't we telling him what he already knows? And there's a reason for that. Because God gives us so many good gifts without us asking for them. He's withholding some of those gifts. And he requires that we actually ask him for those because he knows there's something more important than the gifts that he's giving. And that's the realization of where all good gifts come from. Does that make sense? Just honesty today, we're going to take a little survey. How many of you today have thanked God, be honest, how many of you today have thanked God for the air that you're breathing? If you, if you have, raise your hand. Okay, we have a few folks who have actually verbalized, God, thank you for the air today. But most of us didn't thank God. Why? Because God gave us that gift without us asking for it. What if we had to pray for every breath of air? That'd change your prayer life, wouldn't it? Thank you very much. Can I have another one? Thank you very much. Can I have another one? That, that would give new meaning to the scripture, pray without ceasing, wouldn't it? But see, the truth is, is he just gives that gift like so many other good gifts, and so we just take it for granted. That's why I believe God's holding some things, not because he's stingy. He just wants us to know where good gifts come from because he knows that it's more important that we have a dependent relationship and an appreciative relationship on the giver of all good gifts. That's more important than any gift that he can give us. I believe that those of us who call Jesus as Lord, one day we're going to go to heaven and we're going to enter the pearly gates. And I don't have a scripture for this, but I really believe in my heart that before we go into the mansion that he's prepared for us that we're going to have to walk through a warehouse and we're going to walk down that aisle and whoever is guiding us through we can say to them look at all those shelves and all that stuff on the shelves what what in the world is that and that person is going to say that's all the things that God wanted to give you but you didn't ask for all right our God is a generous God. He wants to give, but more than he wants us to give, he wants us to realize where all good gifts come from. And so there are some things today that you will not receive 
that God wants you to have that would bless your life. And he's just waiting for you to ask for them. The first prerequisite to power and prayer that is actually that we actually pray. Not just come to church and act religious and talk about praying, but that we would actually pray for those things. Second prerequisite is that we believe when we pray. In James 1, 5 through 8, it says, But if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Don't miss this. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Why? Because being a double-minded man, and stable, unstable in all of his ways. What does it mean to be double-minded? It means I come to God and I say, God, I'm worried about this financial situation. I'm worried about this health situation. I'm worried about this relational situation. But I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to hand it off to you. And then we get up and act like God's not going to do anything. And many times we even step outside of his will to disobey him in order to manipulate or try to control the situation. That's double-mindedness. I, I spoke about my brother who was a missionary for many years. He went to Sri Lanka, and he was preaching, and he found out, somebody told him that the translator was, tra- was changing his message when he translated it. He would say, Jesus is the only way. And the translator would say, Jesus is one of the ways. Because he wanted to, Everybody in that society was wanting to cover their bases. They were wanting to follow Buddha, and they were wanting to follow Christ, and they were wanting to follow Muhammad. And Mike just stopped preaching for a whole year and learned the Sinhali language so he could speak to the people in their own tongue so he could say there's not two ways, there's not three ways, there's one way. Because let not a double-minded man think that he'll receive anything from the Lord. You see, believing in prayer is not a feeling we have. We think believing is straining in prayer and getting emotional in prayer. That's not believing. Believing is getting up from your prayer and acting as if God is God. That he's going to do what he said he was going to do. That he's going to keep his promises. That he's going to be faithful. And living with confidence in that instead of being distracted, as we saw in the drama today, by worry. First of all, we have to pray. Second of all, we have to believe the third prerequisite to powerful prayer, interestingly enough, is a right relationship with God. John, the 15th chapter, verse 7, it says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. I have two daughters who are grown now. I have five grandkids, and I love them more than I love you. I just want to be honest. I love you. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. But I love them more. I really do. You are not in my will. They are. There are things that I will do for them. I'll turn over heaven and earth for some of those grandkids that I won't do for you. And you know, it's the same thing is true in the family of God. When you become his son, when you become his daughter, he treats you special. And he promises that he hears and he answers Your prayers, he doesn't promise that for folks who are outside of faith. And it's not like he's saying, if you're not on my team, I'm not going to help you. It's just that God is saying, if you're bound for hell, I'm not going to help you get there. You're in a destructive path, and I'm not going to help you continue down that destructive path. Now, every once in a while, God will answer the prayer of a lost person. But they have no promise of that. Sometimes he's gracious as he sees them turn or move toward him. There's a fellow in our church by the name of Al Martin. 
and Al was a furniture salesman for many, many years. Number one furniture salesman in the Metroplex. And he used to tell his girlfriend who was attending our church at the time that he was his own God. And he was doing pretty well. But then all of a sudden, the sales fell off. It was about six months, and Al didn't sell any furniture at all, and he was desperate. He couldn't pay his bills. He was about to lose his house. And one day in that furniture warehouse, he went into the bathroom, he looked in the mirror, and he prayed maybe the first prayer he had ever prayed in his life. He said, God, if you will help me sell some furniture today, I promise you that I'll go to church every week for a year. And then he walked out of that bathroom, and there was a fellow standing outside the bathroom. He said, are you a salesman? And he said, yes, I am. He said, well, I've got about $30,000 that I need to spend on some furniture if you can help me. And Al said, yes, I can. Well, the guy said, well, I'm going to go to the bathroom, and I'll come back out, and you stay right here. And Al said, uh, okay, but be careful. There are crazy things happen in that bathroom. <laughs> God was just gracious to Al as Al took a step toward him. Al came and sat right there. In the third week, the Holy Spirit got him, and he got saved. And he started taking his day off on Monday, and he started going down to Dawson State Prison in downtown Dallas, and he started carrying a VHS tape. I'll tell you how long ago this was. And asked the chaplain if he could use the little television that was on wheels, and he would put that VHS tape of our church service, and he would put it in front of the, the, the cell block. And then he started inviting, because it got so uh, busy and so big, those prisoners to the gymnasium got permission from the chaplain. He came to me one day and he said, Steve, he said, would the church, could the church possibly buy a video projector for Dawson State Prison? I said, Al, what in the world are you talking about? He said, well, it, it's gotten so big. So many people are watching the service that some of the men in the back, they can't see the television set and they can't hear it. I said, what are you talking about? He said, we got about 150 men who are coming to the gym to watch our service. And that thing grew and it became our very first campus the Dawson State Prison Campus of Lake Point Church. And after a while, there were about 400 women in two different services and about a 250 men that attended those services. We had three services for that campus. And it all started with a prayer that God never promised that he would, have, would answer. But a gracious God who answered the prayer. Now, here's the great thing, friends. Al didn't have a promise or a guarantee that God would answer his prayer, but he did. You have a promise from God as his sons, as his daughters, that he always hears us and he answers our prayers. But he also requires us to have a right relationship with him. See, you can be a son or daughter and you can be estranged. Have you ever said no to a son or daughter? Because you knew that what they were asking for was not going to help them, it was going to hurt them. And you loved them enough to give them tough love and to say no to them. There's this wonderful scripture in Isaiah, the 59th chapter. It says this. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. Neither is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. You see, even as a follower of Jesus Christ, we must have a current relationship. God doesn't ask. Please hear this. God doesn't ask for perfection from his children any more than you do. But he does ask that we have a right, current, healthy relationship. And all we have to do is turn away from our sins and turn toward him. And the moment we turn toward him, we'll find that he's right there as he's always been. That he hears us when we turn toward him and we listen to him. 
First of all, we've got to pray. Second of all, we've got to believe. The third thing, we've got to have a right relationship with him. The fourth prerequisite, and this is interesting, we've got to have a right relationship with others. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 23, it says, Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go first be reconciled with your brother and then come and present your offering. So in other words, if you're praying and you know that somebody is, has a rough relationship with you, if there's something that needs to be resolved, you, you've got to go get that thing right. Second scripture comes from Mark eleven twenty five. 25. It says, whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. Don't miss the difference here. If you're praying and you know that somebody has something against you, you've got to go and as far as it is possible with you, make it right. Sometimes they won't cooperate, but you've got to do your part. There are other times that somebody has slighted you and they don't even know that you're upset. And you're holding a grudge against them in your heart. The Bible says right where you're praying, you go ahead and just forgive them because they don't even know about it. And then it opens the door to your prayer. I told you I had two girls when they were younger, when they were like in middle school, uh, there got to be a, a thing where it was popular to wear one of your daddy's shirts to school. That just got to be the fashion. And so my oldest daughter, Rachel, came to me. She said, Dad, can I wear this shirt that I got out of your closet? And I said, no. And she said, well, you afraid that I'll, I'll uh, get it torn or I'll get it dirty or I'll spill something on it? I said, no, I'm not worried about that. I can get another shirt. You can't wear my shirt because your sister Lydia asked you to wear one of your pieces of clothing yesterday, and you said no. You start being generous with her, I'll be as generous with you as you are with her. See, I didn't care about my shirt, guys. I cared about my girls and their relationships. And God cares about you and your relationships. And there's something going on in your marriage. There's something going on with a neighbor. There's something going on with a coworker that's not right. And there's a conflict that's there. There's something going on here at church and you're holding a grudge against somebody. You're mad at a decision that was made and you don't forgive or get it right. God says, it's going to affect your prayer life because I care about my kids getting along with each other. Is there somebody you need to forgive today? Is there someone you need to go to and just say, hey, listen, I'm sorry for what I said. I'm sorry for what I did. Can we start over? Can we just draw a line and start over? Because it will affect your prayer life. And again, our God is not a stingy God. Our God desires to be generous. He desires to bless us. But he cares more about your relationship with that person than the gift that you're seeking from him. The fifth prerequisite to powerful prayer, and I love this one, it says it's got to be God's will. 1 John 5, 14, 15 says this is the confidence. I love this verse. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have the request which we have asked from him. Guys, this is so very important that when we read the Bible, we read everything in context. You see, if we had taken just the very first verse that we looked at today, Matthew 21 22, that says, everything you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive, you would think that God is just Santa Claus, that God is a vending machine, and we ask for money, and we ask for a bigger house, and we ask for any job that we want, and that he'd give it to us. 
But that's not the whole scripture. The whole scripture also here is 1 John, the, five, the fifth chapter, that says it must be also in his will. We've got to have context. It's, it's kind of like if you read a part of a letter, but you don't read the whole letter. And it says, uh, you smell. Well, that's kind of rude. But then you read the rest of it. It says, you smell pretty. Bad. <laughs> you got to get context. You got to read the whole thing. And yes, the, Matthew 21, 22 is saying there is no limit to what God can give you. Anything you ask in prayer. But the context is it's got to be in God's will. There's got to be an alignment. You, you remember the, the disciples could have asked Jesus anything. They could have said, teach us to do this or teach us to do that. What's the one thing they asked? And they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And you, and you remember the prayer that he taught them? The model prayer? Our Father... Who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Oh, no, that's not, that's not the way that prayer goes. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Oh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The model prayer says we start off by saying, God, if I pray anything in this prayer that is not in perfect alignment with your will, please disregard it. Protect me by just ignoring it. Because more than anything else, I want your will. Because I know that in your will, that's where blessedness is. In his will. You say, but Steve, I don't always know what his will is. Well, no, we don't. But one of the ways that we find out what God's will is by actually praying to him. You know, somebody gets sick. We don't know if it's God's will to heal them. In the Bible, God supernaturally healed people. There were times where he said no. You remember that Paul uh, said Timothy was sick near to death. He told another person to take a little wine for their ailment of their stomach. Guys, sometimes God chooses to supernaturally come into this world and suspend the natural causes that are there, and sometimes he doesn't. And so sometimes we don't know what his will is. Paul prayed three times that God would remove a physical ailment from him, and God said no, no, and no. That's how he figured out what God's will was, was praying. So don't ever be embarrassed to ask God for anything, but sometimes God's going to say no. You know what? The, the thing is about when God says no to something, we, we're sure that is his will. We're sure that we're to get that job. We're sure that mom's going to live. We're sure, you know, we, how could this not be God's will? Guys, if God says no to one of our requests, God must know something we don't know. And we need to learn not only trust that God has the power to do anything, but God has the wisdom to know what to do and what not to do. All right? I'm preaching a funeral. You can clap about that. <clears throat> I'm preaching a funeral of a dear, dear friend for over 40 years, Glenda King, this Friday. And Glenda had cancer. We prayed because we didn't know what God's will was. We prayed that God would give her more years on this earth. And she died. Did God not hear our prayer? Did, did we not pray the right day? Did we not hold our hands the right way? No. God decided he'd give her something better than physical healing. I'm, I'm, when I really am I dressed in my right mind, I'm a little jealous of Glenda today. She's got no more sickness. The tears have been dried from her eyes for the very last time. She has no more irregular people in her life. Can I, have, can I hear a witness on that? She's got meaningful work in heaven. She's got friends. She's standing in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, we prayed selfishly, we did, that she'd stay with us a little bit longer. But God had better plans for her. Sometimes he says no. We know how to pray sometimes by praying and getting an answer from God. Here's the other thing. Don't miss this. This may be worth a trip today. There are already things we know are God's will we're not praying about. Do you believe it's God's will for you to help somebody to take one step closer to Jesus who doesn't know him, who's going to spend eternity separated from him? Do you believe that? What if you got up tomorrow morning and said, God, I don't know who they are or where they are, but I pray that you'll help me have a divine encounter, that you'll change supernaturally the route of my life and theirs, and you'll create a conversation so that I can just plant a seed. I can just say a word of witness. I can just help somebody get a little bit closer to knowing you. We talked about inviting people here to one community. We could pray to God for a supernatural encounter tomorrow, and then we can look forward all day long to that supernatural encounter. Come and we go, oh, that, well, that was it. And then God gives us the perfect words to say, and more importantly, tells us when to shut up. Just say enough. Put a period there. Do you believe it's God's will for you to encourage a fellow brother or sister in Christ this week? What if we prayed for that? What if we prayed, dear Father, make sure that I cross their path, make sure it's a person that perhaps is struggling with something right now that I've gone through and I've seen you be faithful in, and I can give a testimony, a first-person testimony of your faithfulness and your truth. And then you can look forward all week long to that encounter happening, and then you can be there. Guys, there is so much that we already know that is God's will that we're not praying about it. It's ridiculous for us to complain about what we don't know. And here's what I believe. I believe if we pray about the things that we already know are God's will and we see his miraculous hand and we're in a conversation with God, here's what I believe. I believe that it becomes clearer what else is God's will for our life that's not clear now. That's what's before us when we pray according to his will. Finally, the Bible teaches us that we're to pray in the name of Jesus. In John, the 15th chapter, verse 16, it says this, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit shall remain, and whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. Aren't you glad they're having the State Fair of Texas this year? I missed it last year. Anybody else missed the state fair besides me? You know, I grew up in Dallas, and every year they'd give us free tickets as Dallas school children to go to the state fair, and I'd grab the bus on the end of Las Cruces Lane and ride down there and spend the day with my friends. And one of the things we like to do is we like to go to the, a little corner right there by the Cotton Bowl, and there was a magician by the name of Mark Wilson, and he used to do a magic show. And we'd always make that. We'd do a lot of things, but we'd make the magic show. And if you're really fortunate, Mark would call you up to the stage and he would let you hold his magic wand and say the magic words over the trick to make it work. You know what that, those words were, don't you? Yeah, that's right, abracadabra. And, and he'd get to that point and you'd say, abracadabra, and then make the trick work. Is, is that what it means to pray in Jesus' name, that we pray about our finances, we pray about our relationships, we pray about somebody, and then when we get to the end of the prayer, we say, and in Jesus' name we pray. <laughs> we said the magic words, that's what makes it work. Is that what it, I don't think so. I, I think instead, it means that when we get to the end of our prayer, 
after we prayed for that which we so desperately need God to hear us in, we say, I know that I don't have any right to ask for this. And so I want to pray for this in the name of Jesus. And I want to acknowledge today that Jesus Christ went to the cross so I could pray this prayer. That his blood was poured out on my behalf. Or I couldn't come before the throne of grace today and ask for that which I desperately need. And I am so grateful. And I am so humbled to be able to bring this request. And it's all because of Jesus. Wouldn't it be something if we ended our prayer like that? Instead of just rolling off those words because of their habit, without thinking about their context. I think it would change how we pray. I think it would change how we believe. I think it would change our relationship with others because he's told us to forgive him even as he has forgiven us. I think it would change our understanding of what it means to pray in alignment with his will. God has given us a beautiful gift. It's called prayer. You can go there today because Jesus gave his life to pay the way. Let's thank him for that. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, oh, it's so good to be able to call you Father and to realize that we're your children and that you want to give good gifts to your children. And Father, we're going to ask for those gifts. And when you say no sometimes, when we misunderstand what your will is, when we think that all you're concerned about is our comfort and we begin to understand that life is more than about our comfort at any given time but it's about your glory and it's about other people coming to know you like we know you inviting other people to be a part of the family we'll remember who paid the price for prayer in Jesus name in his precious holy name we pray this prayer and all God's people said.